0: I want to go ahead and dive in real quick to this passage. But before we do, I think it's important for us to recognize the sort of passage that we are going to spend our time in this morning. We've come to an end of a section and so if you haven't been with us here this fall, over the course of the past couple months, we've been studying through 1 Corinthians, just little bit by little bit, and, uh, and we've worked thus far through four chapters of this book. And in these four chapters, we've seen Paul addressing some very real concerns that he has. Division is being stirred up within this church. We have some people, and they are relying upon giftings and personality, and a sort of cult of personality has risen up around these people. And and so Christians are beginning to devote themselves to particular teachers and particular styles, and they're finding power and sustenance and influence in these things, and they're being influenced in significant ways. And to this, Paul speaks very clearly He says, "The sort of division that is resulting from all of this is not honoring to God. It's not in step with the gospel. And so to lay it bare, he presents himself and his ministry as a minister of the gospel. And he, he says, "This is the kind of person I am and the kind of ministry that I've had amongst you." I haven't relied upon my personality. I haven't relied on my skills. I haven't sought to cultivate power and authority amongst you. Rather, I have preached the powerful gospel. And so he he lays bare the nature of gospel ministry, his gospel ministry in particular to address these things. Well, now we're really reaching the end of this section where he's dealing with division within the church in this kind of focused way, addressing it with his gospel ministry. And because of that, we're really going to get a word of application today. He's gonna take what he's been wrestling with and what he's been communicating, and now he's gonna apply it in a pretty strong way. Now I share that because this passage is application heavy. I want us to be clear that we who are in Christ, we receive this word, and we're going to be challenged with this word to work, not as those who work for salvation. No, salvation has already been worked for us in Christ, and so now we work as the redeemed, as the righteous. We, we work in freedom because Christ has set us free and now with the spirit's help we can be obedient and we can live in light of Christ's commands bringing him glory and enjoying him in the process. And so that's the posture that we want to approach this passage with today. We are standing on the rock solid foundation of Christ and so we can approach this with gladness desiring to be instructed from the word. And so Uh, We will hopefully be instructed from the word this morning. We're going to work our way through this passage a couple verses at a time, and as we do so, I've given headings to the sections, and those headings are going to serve as our points this morning. So, three headings, three points. First, we have parents. Second, we are imitators. And third, we have decided. So we are we have parents. We are imitators and we have decided. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to grasp this word. Father, we thank you for being a good God who we can trust, who we can submit ourselves to and who we can worship because of Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that you would lay us bare this morning causing your word to pierce us and cause us to live for your renown. Lord, would you be at work here uh, exposing us to light and causing us to uh, live happy and holy lives in Jesus? And so we thank you for this time this morning. We offer it to you as an act of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we want to see that we have parents. And we're going to see that from 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me, please. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in these verses, in this beginning section, I think we're seeing, first and foremost, God's kindness put on display. We have a kind God, a heavenly Father who gives good gifts. I think that's what we want to be concerned with here before we're concerned with anything else. God has done something. A gospel benefit is being communicated to us. And I hope and I pray that collectively we feel that today. These verses begin with Paul clarifying what was going on in the previous verses, in the previous section. If you were here a couple weeks ago uh, before our fall Bible conference, then we preached through this section of scripture. And you might remember that Paul goes pretty hard at these Christians in Corinth. He cuts them up with surgical precision. He goes at them. After laying out his ministry, the comprehensive nature of his ministry, how he's labored, what he's done, he says things like We, gospel ministers, we are fools. But you, you are wise, we, we are weak, frail, but you, you are strong. We are held in dishonor, we're low, but you, my friends, you are the honorable ones. For sure, Paul says something about the nature of ministry as he says these things, but he also very clearly offers a biting critique of the Corinthians and how they view Paul and other gospel ministers. They think that they've become something, and Paul wants to help them realize how hopelessly misguided they are, and it's intense. This is a, an intense thing to say to these Christians. But now, in our verses, Paul tells us what he's saying, why he's saying these things. And what he says is, is he's not writing these things to make them ashamed, he's not writing to embarrass them, he's not writing to blast them, he's not writing to win an argument. He's not writing to cancel them with a solid right hook on the internet. No, he didn't lose his temper and lash out. Instead, verse 14 tells us that Paul says these things to admonish, to admonish these Christians in Corinth as his beloved children. To admonish means to passionately urge or counsel or warn or reason with somebody. They're on a path that is leading in a bad way. It's leading to destruction. It's leading to joylessness. It's leading somewhere bad. And Paul wants to say, take heed, be careful, get off that path, turn back. And so this is what Paul's doing. He's admonishing them against the folly of their belief and action that's ultimately dividing the church. And he wants to do this, he wants to admonish them as his beloved children. They occupy a position as he admonishes them, as his beloved children. Paul considers these people that he just dressed down to be his children. And that is where we want to hone in. There is a special relationship here. The ministry that Paul is undertaking here in 1 Corinthians is a ministry founded upon love. It's mooring is relationship. There is real intimacy that exists. And we can see this unpacked a bit for us in verse 15. Paul compares his relationship with the church of Corinth against guides. Paul says, you have guides. Countless guides. More literally, he says, you have thousands of guides. A guide in this context would be a person who is hired out to give moral instruction. They're, they're hired or they're obligated in some way to give moral instruction. So they might be a household servant, They might be a slave, they might be a tutor, might be a teacher, or somebody else. Several people could fit this role. But at the end of the day, it was a duty or an obligation to instruct. The nature of the relationship meant that these people had to do this because of their position or their role. And as a result, these guides may have taken that seriously or they may have not taken that seriously. They may have done a really good job or maybe not so good of a job. The nature of their relationship didn't lead them or compel them to do a good job. It's just on them and their personality, on their virtue. And so Paul says, you have plenty of those people. You have plenty of guides in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. I have become your father father. Paul isn't saying that he's adopted these Corinthian Christians into his family, his nuclear family. He hasn't gone through a legal proceeding where he's had these people come under his care. Rather, he is speaking of a spiritual relationship that now exists between them. Verse 15 tells us exactly what's going on. Paul says that he has become their father and he's done so through the gospel. Through the gospel. This is a gospel-wrought relationship. This is a benefit of the gospel. Because Jesus lived, died, and rose again, Paul has now become these Corinthians' uh, father in the Lord. So Paul established the Corinthian church. He preached the gospel to these people. And as a result, they trusted Christ and they did so through Paul. And so Paul didn't save them, but the way that this is literally worded is that Paul begot these children in the Lord or they proceeded from him. They proceeded from his gospel proclamation. And because of that, Paul and the Corinthian church, they entered into a special relationship. They entered into a foundational relationship that orients other relationships, it orients motives, it orients action. It's a relationship that establishes intimacy and authority. And so, as one who loves them dearly, Paul comes along. He has authority and he wants to steward that authority to passionately warn them, counsel with them, reason with them to see the true nature of things. And that is what God has given to his people. Again, a gospel benefit, a gospel blessing. And to that, I again want to say God is kind. He didn't have to give the Corinthians this blessing, this gift. But according to his love for us, our Father who gives good gifts has given these Christians a father in the faith. Here recently, we've had an interesting phenomenon take place in our house. Every night, we'll get Henry ready for bed, our son, and uh, and we'll go through the normal nighttime routine. So we'll brush teeth, or get him dressed, or read books, and just the normal kind of thing. And before we actually go into the bedroom so we could put him down for sleep, he will look up to the sky, and he'll say, you know, I think I'm getting a little bit hungry. (laughs) And it's like clockwork at this point. And to see him say it, it's the sweetest thing. He's so earnest. He just wants his little tummy to be filled up a little bit more before bedtime. And you know how his mother, Raylin, and I respond when he says this? We say, get in bed. <laughs> you see, we know that he's not really hungry. We know that a couple weeks back, he realized that if he says that he's hungry, then we will feel pressured to oblige and give him a snack. And that'll get him about 20 minutes more of being awake. And he likes those 20 minutes. He does not like to go to bed. So he takes advantage. But the thing is, we're his parents. And so we know him. We know him and we know what he ate for dinner. We know that we probably gave him a snack after dinner and he may have even had dessert, so he's doing fine. And we also know him well enough to know that if he really is hungry, we know to give him food. But we know him, we know who he is, we know what he's like, we know his patterns, we know what he wants, and most of the time we know what's best for him. And we steward all of this. We steward all of this as best and as faithfully as we possibly can so we can wield our authority in his life so that he is blessed and he can be a blessing to others so that he can see and behold Jesus clearly and one day take hold of him by faith. We're not stewards of our children. We're not tutors of our children or babysitters of our children. Those are all important roles, uh, real roles with dignity and value, honorable roles, but our role is different. As parents, our role is to love our children with an intimate knowledge a foundational knowledge so that even though, or even when they want things that aren't good for them, we would say the hard things and say no. And we would give them what they need. And so when Henry says that he thinks he's a little bit hungry, we say, knock it off, get in bed. We love you. (laughs) This is what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth. I love you too much to sit idly by while you embrace unsound doctrine and behave badly. No, I love you. And so I'm going to admonish you. I'm going to passionately urge, passionately counsel, warn you even if your guides are telling you something different. Again, God isn't God kind. He gives us his people He gives us what we need. God loved the Corinthian Christians by working this wonderful and intimate relationship amongst them, between them and Paul, where Paul functioned like a parent in the very best way to them. And I think that we need to pay special attention to this gospel benefit given to the Corinthian Christians because God does the very same thing for us who who are in Christ. He gives those people who will wonderfully and intimately love us such that they become spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers for us. Maybe these are people who initially preached the gospel to us, and through these people, we were born in Christ, and so we have a relationship very much like the Corinthian church has to Paul, where they were born from Paul. Or maybe these are those people who stewarded the gospel, and the the benefits of the gospel, the truths of the gospel, and apply them to our lives such that we grew in grace over a period of time. Every one of us can trace our faith back to a man or to a woman who proclaimed the gospel to us. We can trace our faith back to faithful men and women who stewarded the gospel and helped us to apply the word to our lives so that even if you do not experience the blessing and the benefit of a solid uh, parental unit in your life, nevertheless, God's purposes have not failed and he has provided for his people and he's done so within the church. He's given us people who function like parents, who become our spiritual parents to love us and care for us and provide for us and nurture us and apply good and eternally true things to our hearts. God has bound us up together in this family called the church where we experience intimate love. And in particular, One of the the key and concrete ways that this is experienced is if you're here at Grace and you're a member or you're one of those people who's not a member but's really acting like a member, the elders are to be a people to you who function like spiritual fathers. We are charged with loving you as a spiritual father would. And as an aside, uh, we met a few months back. Uh, Kenny called a preacher uh, roundtable discussion. And we do these whenever we start a new series or we kind of get into a new section of a series. And and Kenny had all the people who are going to be preaching in this series gathered together around a table. And we also invited uh, several uh, godly, faithful men and women who were just helpful uh, in, in giving insight and helping us to understand the text. And we worked through 1 Corinthians and we prayed through 1 Corinthians together. And as we got to this passage that we're in this morning, Kenny paused and he asked a question that was something like, how should these verses inform our heart's posture towards grace, and those people that we are called to shepherd? And I've thought a lot about that question in the months since. And, and I think our passage lays it bare for us. How should we respond? How sh- what should our heart posture be? Well, as as elders, as ministry leaders at Grace, the posture should be one of love, of parental love. And I want you to know, I have the privilege of sitting with the elders often. I have the privilege of being in meetings with them. I have the privilege of sitting across the table from them over coffee and in lots of other environments. And over and over and over again, they have demonstrated to me that they love you. We as elders, we love you. We desire you. Our affections well up for you. Our hearts beat for you. I've seen the tears that prove that. I've been in the prayer meetings that demonstrate that. I've been in the conversations where we've wrestled with body life here at Grace that demonstrate that. We love you. And I know that talk can be cheap. And so that may be hard to receive. But I want you to know over and over again that we love you. I love you. God has knit us together. And so my prayer this this whole past week leading up to today, and and I commit to you my prayer this week, is that God would take this truth And he would minister to your heart, feed your heart with this fact and cause you to see his fatherly love for you through it. This is where we start. This is where we start. We start with what God has done. God has done something in Christ and the benefit now is that we who are in Christ we are bound up together with one another such that we relate differently to one another than we used to. And now we can have real life relationships, father, mother relationships. We could be children who entrust ourselves to godly parents, it's a gift. And so Paul wants us to be aware of this gift and now he wants wants to instruct us in how we relate to these spiritual parents. And so that's our second heading, our second point this morning. We are imitators. We are imitators. And we see this in verses 16 and 17. So read with me, please. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every Church. So as we move a little further in this passage, we see how we relate to spiritual parents. How does Paul hope to steward his authority as a spiritual father to these Christians in Corinth? And the big answer to this is seen uh, right at the beginning of verse 16. He urges imitation. Imitate me, imitation. That's the big idea in these verses. Paul says, I am your spiritual father. So then imitate me. I have suffered for your sake. So imitate me. You have trusted Christ through me. So imitate me. I have labored for your sake. So imitate me. Be imitators of me. Imitation built upon relationship. That's what we're seeing here. And that is the expectation for the Christian community. And I think to this, we might have one of two instincts. First, we might balk. This just seems awfully not humble or prideful maybe. Or as Kenny said earlier, it seems presumptuous that a person would call others to imitate them. You know, Paul has told us before that he's chief of sinners. And now he's calling people to imitate him. And so we might think, is this real, is this like a real biblical thing? Is this something that that actually real life Christians should do? And to that, I just want to survey a few passages of scripture that are gonna help us to think about this topic of imitation. So I just wanna read several passages. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 through 11, one says, give no offense, just as I try to please everyone and everything, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Philippians three says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians 4, nine what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. It goes on to say, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. 2 Timothy 3, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Hebrews 13, seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 12, the entire chapters basically deal with this idea of seeing faith and imitating that faith. I share these verses and we could share so many more to show you that this idea of imitation is a very biblical idea there is sufficient evidence here for us to see that the expectation for the Christian community is that we would imitate others. This is a method of worship and it is a means to producing worship. The second instinct we might have though is that we might want to nuance this to death. We might want to rightly think carefully about these words and so in doing that, we nuance it to the point where it doesn't mean anything at all. It becomes general, it becomes fuzzy, it becomes vague and basically we could just go about our life ignoring what Paul is saying here. It's right to recognize that Paul is not calling us to merely copy him. He's not saying copy my uh, personality. He's not saying copy my hobbies or copy my interests or copy my style or copy the way that I speak. It's funny, I've, I've heard many people over the years who they, they end up uh, taking a liking to a particular preacher and they listen to their podcast, they listen to their sermons online. And before too long, you start to notice they kind of talk like John Piper. They kind of talk like Tim Keller. They kind of use words like whoever this preacher is. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't copy the way that I speak. Just don't copy the way that I dress or the way that I look. I, I work with students in the student ministry. And so I'm very used to seeing groups clump up together. And before too long, they start to look like each other. And they start to act like each other. And they buy the same sorts of things. Their hair is styled the same way. I think there's something in us. He likes to copy. We find some safety and some security in that, molding ourselves to look like other people. And Paul is not saying, copy me. No, Paul is saying something very different, something beautiful. He urges imitation, and he means something by that. Verse 17. Paul sends Timothy to the Christians of Corinth and he says that he's sending Timothy to remind them of his ways. His ways. His ways are to be imitated. His ways has a referent. And so what are Paul's ways? Well, we could say a lot about this, but Paul's been unpacking his ways for four chapters now in the book of 1 Corinthians. For instance, in chapter one, Paul says that he preaches the gospel, that God saves sinners in Christ, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father on our behalf so that we can have life in him forever. He preaches that gospel in such a way that it will not be emptied of its power. He preaches Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Imitate me in that way. In chapter 2, Paul says he resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. He said he spoke not with words of lofty wisdom but with words that demonstrated the power of the gospel. Imitate me in these things, he says. In chapter three, Paul says he carefully labored so that the Corinthians would grow bit by bit, step by step into the image of Jesus. He says that he and Apollos planted and watered so that God might give growth. Imitate me in these things, he says. And then all of this culminates in chapter four. Who is Paul? A servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. He has sought to be faithful. He has applied the word. He has become a fool, despised, weak. He has suffered and he's been persecuted. Imitate me in these things. That's Paul's call to these Corinthian Christians. He's not saying copy my personality. He's not saying just look like me, dress like me, talk like me. No, he says follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate my faith in my faithful action. Become a fool for Jesus' sake and proclaim his powerful death and resurrection and ascension as a dying man or a dying woman to dying men and dying women. In other words, when he says imitate me, he's inviting these Christians into a closer walk with Jesus where they experience the life and satisfaction and joy of Jesus. Participation in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Imitation. That is what we have to wrestle with in these verses. Several years ago, I read an article that I think it's not hyperbole to say really changed my life. Um, And it just so happens that that article was written by Ray Ortland Jr, who was here with us last week. I posted this article on my Facebook page this morning, in case you want to see it. I will obligate our social media people to post this article at some point throughout the week uh, on one of Grace's pages so you can see it. But um, the article is 10 Unforgettable Lessons on Fatherhood. And in this article, Ray talks about the lessons that he learned being a son uh, under his father, Ray Sr. And so he just talks about Ray's way of life and how that influenced him. That Ray was a person worthy of imitation and how that imitation ultimately led Ray Jr. to the place where he is today. Uh, it's 10 unforgettable lessons on fatherhood. I want to share two unforgettable lessons on fatherhood with you. First unforgettable lesson Ray's father, Ray Sr., praised God. He praised God. This is what Ray said. As a kid growing up, I didn't need an alarm clock most mornings. I woke up to the sound of my dad singing in the shower down the hallway. Every morning he sang heartily and cheerfully this hymn. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries. May Jesus Christ be praised. Alike at work or prayer, to Jesus I repair. May Jesus Christ be praised. Many men are hard to read. I have no idea what they stand for, but I never wondered about my dad. What he cared about most, what he was living for, never once at all, not even a little. He did not take a keep a low profile approach to life. Jesus was too wonderful to him. He praised the Lord throughout his life in public and private in a clear and winsome way that could not be ignored. So that's first unforgettable lesson. Second, he had a real walk with God. He says, I remember going downstairs early one morning and walking in on my dad in the living room. There he was on his knees, his face buried in his hands, absorbed in silent prayer. He didn't know anyone else was up. It wasn't for show. It was real. My dad had a real walk with God. It had never never occurred to me to wonder if Jesus was the Lord of his heart and of our home. Dad loved the gospel. He served the church. He witnessed to our neighbors. He even tithed when he couldn't afford it. He set the tone of our home and our home was a place of joy, honesty, and comfort. Jesus was there. Before Ray Sr. died, uh, Ray Jr. says this in his article, he had a final word for him. And the final word was, ministry is not everything. Jesus is. And these things and many more, some of you are aware of Ray Sr. and you know his life, you know his wife's life. Uh, In so many things, they were worthy of imitation and they called their son to imitate them. And we were able to see the fruit of that imitation just last week as Ray ministered to us while carrying on his mother and his father's legacy. This is important for us to get because this is how God designed his church to work. In his wisdom, God has given us to one another and He's so united us together in such an intimate way that we have real, meaningful and authoritative relationships amongst us. And these relationships sort of work themselves out so that we would have spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, and that we would actually imitate these people. That we would follow their example of faith. That we would follow them as they imitate Christ and walk with him. And by God's grace, this is to work itself out in such a way that as we do this, we grow and we grow and we grow to the point where we too can become spiritual mothers and fathers. And so this leaves us, I think, with some questions. The first is, who do you imitate? Who do you imitate? Who have you granted influence in your life? To quote a famous Donatanas line, to whom do you submit? Who can come to you and admonish you, and you would receive that. My fear is is that we settle far too easily for who we allow to influence us. Many of us are content to allow Twitter or cable news personalities to be the most important voices that speak to us. There are literally things called influencers out there. They have a market on this, and they're doing everything they can to change the way that we think to cause us to care about the things that they care about. We allow strangers on the internet or on the TV to be the guiding voices in our lives. We imitate them. Please understand that this entire passage of scripture is understood in the context of relationship. Beloved, child, Father, those are the sorts of words that Paul employs here. And he does so as a way to demonstrate that these sort of relationships we're to have, these, these uh, influencing relationships we're supposed to have are to be built upon real life relationships, intimacy that exists amongst us, the people of God. Intimacy that should exist here amongst, or within the church. And so I urge you, look around and imitate people who are worth imitating. Look around and imitate those people in your midst here at grace who possess and demonstrate faith in a true walk with the Lord. Follow them as they follow Christ. Find spiritual mothers and fathers to follow and ask them questions. Truly look at them. Observe them. Pester them if need be. Sit at their feet. Figure out how they do life, how they read their Bible, Figure out how they pray. Figure out why they gathered together every Sunday to hear sermons. Figure out how they persevered through times of intense suffering. Figure out how they endured the loss of loved ones like mothers or fathers or siblings. Figure out how they had hope in the midst of chaos and confusion, of failing health. Figure out why and how they're generous. Figure out how they could be so hospitable. Ask them questions. Sit at their feet. Imitate their faith. But this should also lead us to a second question, I think. Second question, are you worth imitating? Are you worth imitating? You see, we're not just meant to imitate, but we are to grow as we imitate to the point where we become influential. If someone were to imitate your faith, where would that lead them? If someone were to imitate your pursuit of Jesus, where would that take them? Are we a people who are so Christ-centered and gospel-centered that we would have the boldness, the gall even, to call others to imitate us. I don't wanna embarrass anybody, um, so I hope this is okay, but, but I, I was sitting behind Uncle or Sonny over here just a few moments ago during sung worship, and, and during sung worship, he's on his knees with his hands lifted high, praising God. And that is a man who has seen some life And yet he's on his knees praising God because he knows the goodness of the gospel and the God that that gives him. And so brothers who are sitting right there beside uncle, I want you to know what sort of gift you have in this right now and so imitate that man. Imitate his faith. Are we the sort of people who could call others to imitate us? I think this, this word here ought to challenge us and confront us and drive us to Jesus. Drive us to the one who we ultimately follow hard after. Every one of us will fail as we seek to pursue Jesus. And so this should cause us to rely on the spirit's help to buoy us so that we might live happy and holy lives such that we could call others to imitate us. And so let us go to Jesus so that we might be able to play a competent role in another person's walk with the Lord with their discipleship. Grace, we need each other. God has designed us to meaningfully rely upon one another. We need spiritual mothers. We need spiritual fathers. They're to play an influential role in our lives and help us to get to glory. We need to submit to these people and imitate their faith. Follow them as they follow Christ. And as we do so, God will work. He will shape this place and he will display his glory. As we close, I wanna make a final point about, God's, or about Paul's fatherly love expressed to these Corinthians. There's a final urging that he gives, a final call that he gives to these Christians. He wants to get really serious and wield all of his influence as a spiritual father to, to set up a fork in the road for them. Final point, we are decided. We are decided. Read with me verses 18 through 21. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So these verses are a bit odd. Uh, thus far in this passage, we've seen nothing but Paul as a spiritual father who loves his beloved children in the Lord. There's an intimacy there. And then there seems to be a, a, a record scratch here. It almost seems like he gives a threat He says, some amongst you are arrogant. And this arrogance is born out of this assumption that Paul is not going to come to them and correct them or confront them on these things that they're doing and saying. And and these verses, they have some real potential to be misunderstood and, and turned into something unhelpful. I don't think Paul is saying that he's gonna come and perform a bunch of miracles and rain down fire and do all these elaborate light shows That's not what Paul's saying here. That's not the sort of power he's talking about. There's a flow of 1 Corinthians that we have to be mindful of. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul again and again says that that true power, the, the real power, is not found in fancy words or rhetorical fluff. True power is seen in the true gospel that brings dead people to life. And so Paul is saying that he's coming to the Corinthians and he's gonna see if their infatuation with words, their infatuation with personality, with leaders, with camps, with style, with skills, if those things have the ability to raise dead people to life. Because his gospel, his simple gospel, that God saves sinners in Christ, according to Christ's life, death, and resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father, because that gospel brings dead people to life. Because that gospel has the power to change the trajectory of a person's eternal destiny. Because that gospel can free people from the bondage of sin and cause people to live in newness of life forever. So he's going to come and there's going to be an encounter. Do you have true power? Or are you relying on a gospel of straw? What I think is happening here is Paul is saying that it's time for a decision. Some have risen up and they've essentially tried to perform a coup. They've tried to wrestle authority and influence away from Paul and onto them. They're schismatic and they're causing people to embrace living uh, according to a shallow and anemic gospel. And that's causing them to cling to personalities, cling to gifts. They're trying to become something special by, by uniting themselves together with special people. And so Paul comes as a loving father, a spiritual father, and it's like he pulls his chair up and he looks his children in the eyes. He says, it's time to decide. Sons and daughters, it's time to leave that behind. It's time to decide to be done with that, to no longer live as children of the world, as children of the flesh, but to live as children of God, So imitate me, imitate my faith. Don't unite yourself together with this wayward and false way of living. No, imitate me as I pursue Jesus. Come with me. And so Grace, we have a spiritual father in Paul who comes to us and he he issues us a similar, similar challenge. He's looking at us in the face and he says, are you going to unite yourself together with those people who cling to an anemic gospel, a shallow gospel, a gospel that cannot save. Or will you imitate me? Will you imitate those spiritual mothers and fathers that God has given you according to his kindness as a gospel benefit? Will you follow them? Or will you follow the patterns of the world and the influencers of the world? It's time to decide. Come with us. Let's pursue Jesus together. And so Grace... I think today is a good day to to decide. I'm gonna pray that the Lord would help us to pursue Christ together. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we can look to him and be sure that we look to the one who has life natural to him and his life is the light of man. And so Father, would you bless us as we pursue Christ and now help us to be those who imitate the faith of godly, faithful saints. And Lord, allow us to be transformed such that we can influence saints. Help us, Lord, we need you. And we need all of the the gifts that you've given us so that we can persevere by your grace. We offer you ourselves, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.